0: Hey, that's what you want to say after one of those songs, you know. God's word is forever settled in heaven. Amen. Flesh is like the flowers or the grass in the field, you know. It'll wither away, but God's word shall stand forever. And um, we're going to go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 9, pick up where we left off in our go- in our series in the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 9. You don't mind me getting a little excited sometimes in church, do you? I'm not charismatic, but I can at least get excited about serving Christ, you know. What do we we sing a song? What is it called? There's joy in serving Jesus or something like that. <laughs> a lot of times we don't actually express that. But anyway, Mark chapter nine. Mark chapter nine. Read about a farmer that was uh, having to do some repair work on his roof, and he's working on his roof there, and kind of got relaxed. You know, real self-sufficient farmer, he takes care of his own stuff. You know, fixes it up on his own, his own tractors, his own trucks, and, and he is going to make sure that he takes care of his roof. He's not going to pay someone else to do that. So he gets up there and he's doing that, and he gets a little clumsy and he, he slips, and he starts falling down, sliding off the roof, and he and he calls out to God and says, "God, help me!" And then right when he got those words out, he his pants got hung on a nail. And kept him from falling off the roof. Man, praise the Lord for God answering prayer. But the guy said, Huh. Wow. Never mind God. I took care of that. (laughs) And you know, and you look at that and you're just like, I can't believe it just came out of his mouth. Um, You know, we get shocked by those kind of statements and about the self-sufficiency of people around us. But what about our own self-sufficiency? You know, um, the thing is, is that we can come to church and we can prepare a Bible lesson and never come before God and say, God, I need your help (laughs) to understand what your Word says. I need your power. And we can take God's power for granted. Uh, We can even come and and sing. Uh, I don't sing that well, but even when I do sing with a quartet, you know, you know, what I should be doing is I should be praying before that that God would use me and empower me to, first of all, sing to His glory for His for His pleasure and not anybody else, but also He would use the words that I'm singing to minister to the hearts of the people. You know, when we come to church, whether we're singing or preaching or teaching, what about if we just come and we're part of the congregation and... Do we prepare our hearts and do we ask God, God, I need Your help. I haven't been really feeling that great this week. It's been kind of a difficult week. I've been kind of stressed. But God, I need You. Will You please empower me to meet a need of someone at church today? Maybe someone is going through something I'm going through and I can encourage them and comfort them. Or maybe I can just encourage people with my disposition. You know? In church. I would encourage him with my disposition. Um, but you know, we have an opportunity to call upon the name of the Lord and ask for his power in order to do his will in this world. But a lot of times we take his power for granted. And here in Mark chapter 9, the disciples of Christ take the power of Christ for granted. And we see the disciples powerless before the devil and before the world, and they appear as weak because they take the power of God for granted. The fact is, is that you and I need God working through us in order to follow Jesus Christ. Beginning in Mark chapter 8, we've been talking about how Jesus foretold He was going to go to the cross. He foretold that He was going to go to Jerusalem. He would be rejected by the elders, by the rulers, and by the teachers there, the scribes, the Sanhedrin, he would be. He would suffer. He would die and that He would be raised from the dead on the third day. He said all those things before it ever happened. And it upset His disciples. And they got upset. And He says, well, if you're upset with that, you're going to be really upset with what I'm telling you now. Because if you are going to choose to follow Me, you're going to have to deny yourself. You're going to have to take up your cross and follow Me. You're going to have to follow Me in the death march to the cross are you willing to do that? We've been talking about that, you know, in regards to being a true disciple of Jesus Christ. And here in Mark chapter 9 after they come off the Mount Hermon, I believe, from the transfiguration of Christ, this glorious appearing of the divine nature of Jesus, they see Jesus as he truly is and they totally blow it. But anyway, they get, they do learn something about being about being refocused and focusing back on Him. But when He comes down the mountain, He sees that while He's up on the mountain, His disciples have been attacked by the devil. And let me tell you, when you choose to follow Jesus, like I've been preaching the last two weeks, the devil's going to come after you. He's going to lose ground and He wants it back. And He's going to come back and He's going to discourage you and if you are trusting in your own strength, you're going to fail like these disciples in this passage. Let's read in uh, verses 14 through 19. Chapter 9, verse 14 through 19. And when Jesus came to his disciples, he saw a great multitude about them, and the scribes questioning with them. And straightway, all the people, when they beheld him, were greatly amazed, and running to him, saluted him. And he asked the scribes, what question ye with them? Or why are you questioning My disciples? And one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I brought, I brought unto thee My Son, which hath a dumb spirit. Now, it doesn't mean that he's an idiot spirit. It means he caused the possessed boy not to speak. Okay, Couldn't speak. Verse 18, And, whereso- and wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth him, or convulses him. And he foameth at the mouth, and gnasheth or grinds his teeth and pines away or wasting away physically. And I spake to thy disciples that they should cast him out, and they could not do it. He answered him and his reply and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I endure you or suffer you? Bring this boy unto me. Jesus in this passage is calling you and me to serve him with complete dependence on his power, to follow Jesus, trusting in his power to work through us. And when you do that, certain things will happen. First of all, Jesus will conquer your spiritual enemies. He will conquer your enemies, uh, kids. If I can, if you're familiar with Awana or if you've been in Vacation Bible School, you may have done some wheelbarrow races. Sometimes, anyone know what that is? You know, when you get on your hands and knees. You know, and someone holds your your feet and you know and you walk, I'm not going to do that for you this morning. I thought about it, but uh, I'm not going to do that. probably shouldn't do that in church. don't want to split my pants. <laughs> uh, but anyway, we go and do a wheelbarrow race, and let's imagine that we have some of these t and T boys, you know, ten years old, nine years old, and we got we got a set of them here, and then we got one of them here, and they're going uphill to the back of the auditorium. And I say, alright, I'm going to go over here and I want you to follow me when I say go. Ready? Set. But hold on. Who's going to win? If I if I say that these two boys can't use their feet, but there's a couple of boys here, but it's only one here. If the other guy's doing an army crawl and can't use his legs versus the Wilbur people, who's going to win? The people with the Wilbur. The people that are holding up, you know, the kid that's being held up by the other kid. They're going to win. Why? Because that other boy's helping him and he's holding his feet where he's helpless. And the same is true in spiritual battle. The fact is the Christian life is not a playground. I've said this over and over, but it's a quote that's really impressed me and made a meaningful impact in my life and that the Christian life is not a playground. It's a battleground. And we need the Lord in order to experience spiritual victories. And here in verses 14-19, through we read about the disciples and the key phrase is at the end of verse verse 18, and the man, the father of this boy, says, I brought him unto your disciples and they could not. And they could not help him. They failed. And the thing is, is that faith in the power of Christ is the key to victory. When we study about spiritual warfare, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, it says, Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. And it's such a temptation. As we follow Jesus Christ and we face temptations, we face trials and testing of our faith to say, I can get through this. I can overcome this but not without the power of Christ. And that's where the disciples failed. That's where the disciples failed. This father comes to Jesus, but he wasn't there. He was up on Mount Hermon when he when he came. But this father apparently had heard about the disciples of Jesus and we read about in Mark chapter 6 how they cast they had authority to cast out demons and they did. They had I mean at this point And the Gospel of Mark, they've already cast out demons before. These, uh, evil angels. These angels that God created good, but turned and rebelled against Him. These are called demons. And they were, and it possessed these people. And it was very rampant at that time in history. And these apostles were able, these twelve were able to cast them out. And the Father heard of the disciples doing that. And so it makes sense that He asked them for help. But sadly, they were unable to help their only son. Now, why did they fail? Why did they fail? I believe the reason is is because they were trusting in the authority that they received a long time ago. Their position. okay? I believe that they trusted in their position in ministry as the apostles, as the twelve. I think they also trusted in their past accomplishments as well. They were living back in the glory days instead of today. And I tell you, I can relate to that. Is there a temptation for me as a pastor to say, "Oh yeah, I'm, I'm the pastor. I gotta have victory. You know, I can. You know, if I got this far, and i and you know, this church has given me, uh, put me in this position. You know, I should be able to face whatever the devil throws at me." Wrong. I need the Lord. Okay, actually, First Corinthians chapter 11, verse one. Paul, the apostle, the great apostle who wrote most of. God used him to write most of the books of the New Testament. He said, "He said, follow me as I follow Christ, you see. It's not that I'm the leader and I'm not following anybody, but the fact is, Scripture says that I am expected to follow Christ, and you're expected to follow me as I follow Christ. Amen? Isn't that biblical? And so, any authority, whether you're a parent, whether you're a pastor, whether you're a teacher... No matter what kind of accomplishments, you may have been on a mission field. Maybe your dad was a pastor. Maybe you uh, have been saved and you made some really great decisions in your life a long time ago. That's great, praise the Lord. But what about today? Are you trusting in the power of God to work in you today? And we see that the disciples, I don't believe, were trusting in the power of Christ for victory. And we see that in verse 29, Jesus talks about why they failed. He said this kind of demon can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. By prayer and fasting. Prayer. It's a word that this word for prayer is only used towards God. So it's devoting yourself to God. okay? And then fasting. Fasting doesn't mean that you don't eat food all the time. But most of the time that was the case. And it was always a voluntary choice that you would make. And the whole point of it, uh, you know, sometimes kings insisted in the Old Testament that you fast and pray and call out and then ask God for forgiveness and repent. But it was always a choice in the Old Testament. God didn't require people to fast. But the whole point of it was to get away from the distractions of this life and get your focus on God. So can I take that principle, that thought, and apply it to what's going on here. You think about prayer and fasting. What is the idea? Utter dependence and focus on God. Why did the disciples fail? Because they were, they, their complete dependence was not in the power of God. It was in their authority. It was in their past accomplishments. It was in what they thought they could do. And they lacked this discipline and devotion to God, and they failed. C.S. Lewis said this, relying on God has to begin all over again, every day as if nothing has yet been done. I think that's a great quote. Relying on God has to begin all over again, every day as if nothing had yet been done. That we're not living on the past victories, but we're relying on Him afresh every day for His power to work through us, and we will experience victory. James chapter 4 is a context of struggling with sin and dealing with sin in your life, with worldliness in your life. And it says, God writes there, Submit yourselves therefore to God. That sounds like utter dependence to me. Submit yourselves therefore unto God. Resist the devil. And the promise is, He will flee from you. I believe a lot of Christians are powerless and they are addicted to sinful habits and they're not experiencing victory because their utter dependence is not on God to work through them. The last thing they're doing is going to the Word of God for solutions, for raising their kids, for getting over that addiction, for, you know, repairing the conflict in their home, in their marriage. Get back to God and depending on Him. Yes, if you're depending on your own strength, you're going to fail. And what were the results of the unbelief of the disciples? If you we're going to read the rest of this chapter, we already read a little bit with the scribes. It says that they were questioning or disputing with the disciples. They were discussing why they failed, and you know what they were doing. They were saying, So if Jesus cast out demons, why can't you? Or why, if you did it before, why can't you do it today? Is Jesus really who He says He is? And they start trying to discredit who Jesus is. And you know why they do that? Because the disciples chose not to depend on the power of God. And you know what? A lot of Christians are doing this today. A lot of preachers are doing this today. And I try my best to depend on the power of God when I come and I preach to you and as I pastor you. I want our church to be like the church of Thessalonica when Paul came. He came and he preached the word. He came in word and in spirit and in power. See, that's what the early church did. They were they didn't just come in some intellectual sense and study the Bible and say, "Oh, I'm glad I know that, you know, that Methuselah was 969 years old and that Enoch that he lived to 365 years." You know, we can fill ourselves with all this head knowledge and, it may, and, it, and when it doesn't really do anything to affect our life and how we live today. But what I'm talking about is that when we get in the Word of God and we're not just filling ourselves with head knowledge, but we're saying, God, speak through Your Word to me. And with what I'm doing in my life and expose sin in my life that I might be, walk right with You and be empowered by You. And so, do we go to God depending on His power to work through us as we're serving Christ. And when we don't, we open up the door for criticism from the gainsayers. The New Testament talks about this elsewhere. I'm not just taking this out of thin air. And then Also, it led to the Father's doubting of Jesus a little bit later. We'll see that in this next section, if I can say that. Jesus rebukes all of the unfaithfulness of these people there that day. Uh, I struggle with this back and forth, but I really believe that when Jesus rebukes them in verse 19, the disciples are included, the scribes are included, the crowds included. He says, "O faithless generation, or people, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I endure your faithlessness?" Is basically what he's saying. And he says, "Bring your son to me." And what? And it's a shame that none of these groups. Uh, that all these groups did this because none of the groups had any excuse for their unbelief. The disciples have traveled with Jesus. The Father had heard about Jesus. Even about the disciples casting out demons. The scribes have seen His miracles, but they were a, gen- they were a people that were seeking for a sign from heaven as we've studied earlier. And how frustrated Jesus must have been that day. But before you cast that stone, I wonder how frustrated He gets with you and me. We try to serve him without his power, and we try to go up against spiritual enemies and high and wicked in high places. The thing is, is that when we face people that oppose the Bible, Jesus Christ, or even the existence of God, we're not fighting against people. We're fighting not against flesh and blood. Ephesians chapter six says, but against principalities and powers. These evil spirits, like this one that possessed this boy. We're fighting a spiritual warfare, and you've got to fight with spiritual weapons. And you have to fight with the power of God Almighty, being strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Then, second of all, when we depend on the power of Christ to work through us, not only will Jesus conquer your enemies, but He will also cultivate your faith. Before I read the next section, I wanted to just take it. You know, we think about trials we were studying in the book of Ruth today. And really, when you think about Ruth, you know Naomi's faith was stretched, Ruth, I believe you know believed in the Lord genuinely uh, there in Moab, and she continued to follow the Lord when she went back to Bethlehem, Judah, and her faith was stretched as well. But you know, I wanted to illustrate this a little bit, but when our faith is stretched, we do see the Lord more. Kyler, you see that. Can you read that? Is it too small for you? okay yeah so when I you know when I'm stretched in my circumstances in my trials and my difficulties the whole point is that I might see that God is a, is more than enough for that trial and we see this with um, with this man as well he he knows about Jesus he knows about his miracles and so forth and so on and I believe here he actually expresses saving faith in Jesus that he has the power to deliver. He is who He says He is. Let's go ahead and read these verses. Verse 20, it says, And they brought the boy unto Jesus, and when he saw him straightway, the Spirit tear him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed foaming. And he asked his father, how long, how long is it ago since this came unto him? And he said, Of a child. And oftentimes it hath cast him into the fire, and into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said unto him, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway the father of the child cried out, and he said with tears, Lord, I believe; help thou mine unbelief. mean this is a really desperate circumstance that this father's in. You know, we didn't really go into too much detail in the previous section, in verses fourteen through nineteen, about this. Demon-possessed boy. But when he's introduced to the Lord Jesus Christ uh, about his situation, the father says that he is plagued with a dumb spirit or a spirit that causes him not to speak. And in the mind of this Jewish man, he thinks, man, this demon is hard to get rid of. Because in Jewish custom, what they would do, they actually had exorcists, people who would cast out demons. And they had a process that they would go through and little incantations that little magical formulas they would recite. It was very superstitious and stuff. And anyway, one of the things that these Jewish exorcists would do is they would want to find out the name of the demon in order to cast it out. But if you, but if the demon prevents the victim from speaking, how will you ever find out the name of the demon? And so in the mind of this father, he's like, I'm in a hopeless situation. This demon is too powerful for the Jewish exorcist to take care of. Your disciples can't do it, and so he comes to Jesus. And when this boy it comes before the Lord, he goes. The the devil sees Jesus and goes into fits. He knows that his time is limited, and he wants to hurt this little boy as much as he can. And I talked about it a little bit that it would be you know, convulsions, shaking, make him fall on the ground and shake and wallow or roll around, foaming at the mouth. I mean, you you think the guy was crazy. But Jesus, and we don't believe what a lot of the liberals say. They look at this passage and say, oh, this guy just had epilepsy and Jesus didn't know it because it wasn't discovered yet. Jesus is speaking about this demon he knew exactly what it was he's the son of god and this was a demon possessed boy when he sees jesus i mean there's so many evidences we can point to that this boy was demon possessed and this devil feared uh, the lord jesus and he throws this boy down and he has this great fit and then jesus says how long has this plagued your boy he says from a child so this is a very long time, and this man, this father is hopeless, and you read about this in verse 22. When he says, he's even cast him into, tried to cast him into fire and tried to drown him. And so he says, but if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us, and help us. And we see here that he is desperate. He's like, just have mercy on us, have compassion on us, help us. But he limits Jesus Christ. Did you catch that in verse 22? He says, if you can do anything, if you can do anything, then help us. And he, he doesn't realize the power of Jesus Christ and what He can do. And his faith has been weakened by the faithlessness of the disciples. And Jesus rebukes him in verse 23 and says, if you are able to believe... All things are possible to him that believeth. He actually uses his own words. If you're able to believe, it depends on if you're able to believe. And then I'll work. But if you're going to act in unbelief, I'm not going to do anything. But if you're able to believe, the sky's the limit. All things are possible to him that believeth. To him that believeth in the Lord and wants His will in their life. And so the father declares his faith in verse 24, I believe, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. So he declares his faith in the power of Jesus. Then he admits the weakness of his own faith. And this is a quality of, a, of growing faith. He admits his weak faith and he begs for God to intervene anyway despite his imperfect faith. And this is all evidence of his faith growing in Jesus Christ. You know, when we think about needs. This boy, this man, he had a need, didn't he? Need, he had a need, and you know what? Need is your greatest asset in prayer. Wouldn't you say this guy prayed? <laughs> he called out to God. He cried out to God. He screamed out to God. He actually he screamed so loud to God that a, a crowd gathered after he did this, beginning in verse twenty-five. But need. Is your greatest asset in prayer. Is helplessness something to be ashamed of? Absolutely not. I've said this on Wednesday night one time. Prayer is designed for the helpless, one person said. Prayer is designed for the helpless. And helplessness is your greatest qualification in prayer. When you are helpless, you're qualified to pray. Because you're not depending on yourself anymore. Who are you depending on? God. You follow what I'm saying. And then also, imperfect faith is the greatest requirement for prayer. If you had perfect faith, you wouldn't need to pray. right? <laughs> but imperfect faith is the greatest requirement for prayer. And then third of all, when you have your utter dependence on the Lord Jesus Christ and His power, not only are you going to experience, experience spiritual victory and also spiritual growth or growing faith, but you're also going to experience, last of all, Jesus will commune with you and you'll commune with Him. Verse 25, it says, when Jesus saw that the people came running together, He rebuked the unclean or foul spirit, saying unto Him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit. We found out a little bit more about this demon. Okay, the boy was deaf and dumb because of this demon. And He says, I charge or command you, come out of him and enter no more into him. And the spirit screamed or cried and convulsed him sore or much and came out of him and he was as one dead insomuch that many that were around there, they said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. And when Jesus was coming to the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could not we cast... Him out. And he said unto him, This kind of demon can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. Fact is, is Jesus powerfully answers the prayer of that Father, doesn't he? A prayer of utter dependence on God to work through him, to work in spite of him. And you know what? The disciples missed out on that because they neglected to pray. Fact of the matter is, in most churches, probably the lowest attended service in about every fundamental independent Baptist church is the prayer meeting. And we wonder why we come across powerless and weak to our community. It's because we're not praying. Because we are not casting our utter dependence on the power of God. And I'm not saying, and you know, Calvinists will say, well, if it's God's will, it'll happen anyway. Why pray? Because God commands it. And God, He works... When we, he, he says, I will work when you depend on Me. It's an act and a declaration of dependence on Him and belief in Him. And God, like Jesus, will not work when there's people like the city of Nazareth. You remember the town of Nazareth? That they really were skeptical of Jesus and what happened. He did very little miracles there because of their unbelief. He does that even today in the Christian church because of our lack of unbelief. Or our lack of belief. You know, I'm not a very work person, but I do have one of these drill, right? But if I'm going to drill a hole in this pew, which you guys would be really mad at me if I did that. um, But if I was going to drill a hole in this pew, would I be able to do it right now, Wesley? Why not? because it's not plugged in, it has no power, right? I'm going to stick this up here. I have to plug it in. And amen, when we plug into God, it's not a battery, amen, that you have to recharge. But it's a uh, direct current. It's there. It's a constant source of power. <laughs> and the same thing is available to you and me as children of God. As we follow Christ, we can be victorious We can commune with God and we can grow in our faith if we would just ask God to powerfully work through us and depend utterly on His power. Jesus said before He went back to heaven, all power is given to Me in heaven and earth. Do you believe that? I do. He's more powerful than anything or anyone today or that will ever come. We serve the One who holds the future. (laughs) We don't have to fret when we don't know who's going to be the next President of the United States. right? And what I want you to remember from this message is as you commune with the Lord, and when you are depending on the Lord, you will commune with Him. You will fellowship with Him, not fellowship about Him as I prayed at the beginning of this service. There is a difference. But as you commune with your Savior, your faith in Him will grow. As you pray, as you fast, as you read His Word, your faith in Him will grow. And as your faith grows, you will depend on His power, won't you? And as you depend on His power, you will enjoy spiritual victories. But that's only if you go to the power source. That you go and depend on the power of Christ to work through you. I'm tired of appear I'm tired of Christians appearing weak, aren't you? Are you ready to make a difference? Are you really ready to live differently than the status quo? I am. And you know where it all starts? Communion with God. We're going to be going into our time of the Lord's table where we're going to commune with God. It is an opportunity for us to fellowship with the Lord Jesus as we pray to him and We thank Him for His sacrifice on the cross of Calvary for our sins. But it's also a time of examination. For Him to search our own hearts, see if there's any wicked way in us, that we wouldn't come to this time where the elements of the bread represent the broken body of the Lord Jesus and the suffering that He endured. On the cross, before the cross, and then the Jews symbolizing the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. For without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins, the Bible says. And so, as we come to this, we don't need to come to it and think, you know, and not think through it, you know, and take the sacrifice that Jesus made um, and make it common or make it uh, not that important. And one way we can do that is having sin hiding in in our hearts. We need to uh, search our own own hearts. Ask God to search our hearts. By His power, He'll expose. His Holy Spirit, He'll expose sin in your life if it's there. We need to confess it. We need to get right with the Lord. What I mean by confess is we need to agree with God about our sin. Say, Lord, cleanse me. Restore me. Use me. I agree with you about my sin and I want to... Live the way you want me to live. And so it's a time of examination, a time of fellowship, a time of remembrance. We're remembering what Jesus did on the cross. But it's also a time of looking forward. Because we do, we're do we commanded to do this until the Lord returns. And so we look forward to His soon return. And so at this time, I'm going to uh, ask our